Welcome to Four Reasons with Elizabeth Bennett, a podcast that was created for four reasons. One, to share the tool of the Enneagram through a biblical worldview. Two, to share my own thoughts, feelings, and discoveries about the world as I encounter it as an Enneagram 4. Three, to help you encounter Jesus in a transformational way. And four, to encourage you towards understanding yourself and those around you. Welcome to our second episode of Four Reasons, and today we are going to be diving into Enneagram testing. And this is a pretty big topic in the Enneagram world, and if you knew it or not, it's actually kind of a controversial one. So there's a couple reasons why I wanted to talk about Enneagram tests, and the first being that this is the number one question I get asked on Instagram or any other platform I'm on that I'm talking about the Enneagram. Everyone wants to know what test I recommend, what's the most accurate test, where can they find a good test, all that kind of thing. That's definitely the number one question I get asked. Secondly, I want to talk about this topic because it is a controversial topic. And when I was first getting into teaching the Enneagram, there was this group of Enneagram teachers that did not recommend tests, and they were also the group that kind of took the fun out of the Enneagram. They didn't like memes, didn't like parodies, they don't want you typing characters. They were what I kind of considered the Enneagram peers. And then there were the people that were having fun with the Enneagram that were taking tests, sharing tests with all their friends, creating memes, typing Disney characters as Enneagram characters. And I just kind of felt like I was somewhere in the middle. I definitely was not an Enneagram purist where like I didn't believe in taking tests at all, but I did see why they were controversial and I didn't love the memes, kind of never have, but I also saw why they were attracting so many people. And so I could kind of see the value of both sides. And a little bit to my horror, the more and more I have learned about the Enneagram and kind of delved into this topic, the more I myself have become an Enneagram purist. Now, when people ask me, what test do I recommend? The short answer is, I don't. I don't actually recommend any test at all. And I know that that can be really frustrating to the people that are asking me this question, but that's why I wanted to really go over this in a podcast episode, just in a different format where I could really explain why this is what my thought process is on testing now and hopefully show you the four reasons why I do not like testing. And then I'm gonna give you four ways to figure out your type given the information that I'm gonna give you about testing. So the more and more I work with the Enneagram and the more I do coaching and everything like that, the more I am figuring out how very inaccurate tests are and just how very misused they are in general. So my first point is tests are inaccurate, and there's a couple of reasons why tests are so inaccurate. You will get people claiming that their test is extremely accurate, but the problem is that all tests are testing for behaviors. 
And they might say that they are testing for motivations, which is what determines your Enneagram type. But the problem is, is especially in American culture, we have no clue what our motivations are. We are extremely behavioral. The way we describe ourselves, the things that we notice about other people, everything is extremely behavioral. You can definitely tell if someone is outgoing or shy. You can tell if someone is extremely kind or if they seem critical and rude. Those are all behaviors. We are not addressing at all what makes someone quieter or what makes someone more outgoing. Why are they like that? Why do they do that? And I genuinely think our curiosity kind of stops once we can categorize people into behaviors. So once we know if they're introverted, extroverted, if they like pets, if they don't like pets, if they're single, if they're married, anything like that, those are the categories we put people into. And basically, after we put people into those certain categories, we are mostly satisfied with what we know about them. And so we don't really care about what is the motivations behind people. Really, that's more deep psychological work. We leave that up to the experts. It's definitely not a huge part of American culture, which is why things like BuzzFeed quizzes are so huge. Like, tell me what color I am. Tell me what Parks and Rec character I am. Tell me what kind of cat I would be. Like, all those things, they're just fun. And they tell us something about ourselves that either... It feels so true, it gives us the sense of accomplishment, or it feels so untrue, it gives us the sense of superiority that no test can like possibly put us into a box. So when Enneagram tests are testing, they can only really test for behaviors. And yes, certain Enneagram types are probably more likely to exhibit certain behaviors than other Enneagram types. Like an Enneagram 7 is the most likely Enneagram type to be an extrovert. That does not mean that there are not introverted sevens. There most definitely is. And then the fives are going to be the most likely to be introverted. That does not mean there's not extroverted fives. There definitely is. But if you, in a test, just ask, are you an introvert or an extrovert? And you select one of those, or they're asking a question of, How likely are you to leave a party early? Or do you ever feel like you're the life of the party? Things like that. If you push, oh yes, I'm definitely the life of the party, then they're going to be like, okay, that's one in the area for seven. And if you then continue to click on five more things that are yeses for their seven questions, then you are most likely going to score that you are a seven. Does that mean that you are most likely a seven? Well, I mean, the test has made a pretty good point that you do exhibit a lot of behaviors that sevens might exhibit. But does that make you a seven? No, it doesn't. Not by any realm of the imagination. Because there are type twos that can look like type sevens. There are type eights with seven wings that can look more like a type seven. There are sixes with a seven wing that can look more like a type seven. There are fours that can look like a type seven. There are threes that can look like a type seven. Ones in 
growth look more like a type 7. So all of those things combined mean that you very much can be exhibiting behaviors that look like a type 7 without being a type 7. And so that's why asking behavioral questions does not actually give you a very accurate picture of what someone's Enneagram type is. It just gives you a picture of what kind of behaviors they exhibit. And even if you're asking motivational questions, like I said before, most of us have no idea what our motivations are, which brings me to the next point and tests are inaccurate, is that we are not very self-aware. Kind of as a culture in general, like I said, with like, we like behaviors, we like to be boxed in by behaviors, we like to be identified by our gender, our race, our profession, our marital status, those types of things. We are very comfortable with that. That's the culture that we live in. And behaviors change. So that's one of the reasons why you hear a ton of people saying like, I could never be boxed in by a certain personality is because behaviors change. And the Enneagram agrees behaviors change, but motivations typically do not, especially a motivation that is very deeply rooted in your childhood. You can't go back to your childhood and root in a different motivation for your behaviors. But as you grow and as you hopefully are maturing and becoming more godly, your behaviors will change. The way you present yourself in the world will change as you get feedback to how you present yourself in the world. And so because of all these behavioral changes, you will find a lot of people being very frustrated with Enneagram tests saying, oh, this test is asking me if I tend to leave a party early. And when I was in college, I definitely did. But now as a stay-at-home mom, I definitely don't. And that's because your behavior has changed, especially due to seasonal change. So like when you were in college, you might have been in a season of stress with just so many deadlines and so much pressure on your academic performance. You might have been in a season of stress and not had as much energy. But now that you are a stay-at-home mom, you might have a lot of social energy you need to go burn off because you're with kids all day. Those behaviors change and the motivations behind those behaviors are going to be different for your different times, um, especially if it is going to be stress or growth seasons, or if it's just a huge transitional change that might have to do more with subtypes. But those are different topics for different days. Why you see so many Enneagram tests if they can't actually be that accurate? We think that they're probably about 40% accurate. About 40% of the time, they're going to peg you as the right Enneagram number. There is only nine, and some of your behaviors are probably going to match what your Enneagram type is, so there is a margin there for them being somewhat accurate, as well as there are some people that are extremely self-aware. So tests can be accurate, but I would argue that most of them are not because they cannot remove the human equation. They cannot remove the fact that it is you taking the tests and you might not be that self-aware or you may only be aware of your behaviors and not your motivations. And you might be a subtype that's behaviors look more like another type than your core type. So they cannot take out those equations. So tests in and of themselves can only be as accurate as the self-awareness of the person who is taking them. 
But you will see so many tests out there and so many of them claiming to be so accurate. And the reason for this is, like I said, tests are the number one thing I'm asked about in my Instagram comments and messages. This means that tests are one of the biggest money makers for anyone who has anything to say about the Enneagram. So even those Enneagram purists that really don't believe that tests are accurate and are a very good way to be introduced to the Enneagram, a lot of those people also have tests that you can take, which I find to be kind of funny. And how they rationalize this is they say that theirs is more accurate than the other tests that are out there. But where my argument stands is, is that you cannot make a test that is takes out that human equation, that takes out the fact that the person taking it might not be that self-aware and the accuracy of that test is only going to be as good as the self-awareness of the person who is taking it. So just be very aware that there are a lot of Enneagram tests out there. There are a lot of Enneagram tests that say that they are extremely accurate and a ton of them are just cash grabs or email list grabs or something like that for people that teach the Enneagram because it is such a big moneymaker. Okay, for number two, my second point on why I do not recommend tests is that tests introduce a very narrow view of the Enneagram. Recently on Enneagram Life, I post a series of images that talked about having a narrow view of the Enneagram or having a wider view of the Enneagram. And narrow view of the Enneagram leads to stereotyping. It doesn't usually lead to growth. It leads to more putting yourself in a certain personality box and actually doesn't use the Enneagram for what it's meant to be used for in the way that it can be most helpful. When you have a wider view of the Enneagram, you know that stereotypes of certain types are not true across the board. And you're going to know a lot more about different types and your grace for the people around you is going to grow exponentially, as well as your awareness of your own strengths and flaws and how God works with those. And you're going to repent of the areas that you are prone to sin and you are going to lean into God and grow in the ways that he has for you to grow. But if your introduction to the Enneagram is through a test, as I would say 75% of people's introduction to the Enneagram is, or at least to what they think their type is, what tends to happen is this. Say Katie takes an Enneagram test and it types her as a type 2. Well, Katie reads over the description of a type 2 and thinks that that fits her pretty well. She is a very helpful person. She serves a lot at her church. People are always telling her how generous and giving she is. And so that seems to fit her very well. So as she goes on to Instagram and Pinterest and Facebook and into circles of socialization that talk about the Enneagram, she tells people that she identifies as a type 2. And so what happens with Katie from here is that her curiosity about the Enneagram really starts to go away. As she's reading memes and posts about type twos, she relates to them, but not in a crazy mind-blowing way. So she's like, oh, well, the Enneagram's okay. Like, I'm definitely a type two. That makes sense for me. But the Enneagram just doesn't have a whole ton to offer. And so she gets a little bored with it, and that kind of ends her Enneagram journey. Well, the problem is that Katie is actually not a type 2. Katie is actually a social type 7, which is the counter type 
of type sevens, which looks a lot more like a two. Social subtypes as well often test as type twos because their outlook on life is a much more herd mentality. So it's a lot more like others first, me second, what's for the good of the group, a much more service-minded view of life, as well as if you are an oldest daughter and you are live in a Christian culture, being two-ish is kind of the model that's been put up for you to be. Like that is the meek and humble Proverbs 31 woman. That's a two. And so it is not uncommon for women especially to mistype as twos on tests because that's really how they think about themselves. That kind of is the ideal that is pushed. They feel like they have reached that to some capacity or another and those are the boxes that they check for that test. Now how that creates a really narrow view of the Enneagram is When people test and the test seems accurate, their curiosity kind of stops there. Then they only start looking up memes and posts about their own type. Sometimes it will branch out to what their spouse typed as or what their best friend typed as. They'll look at those things. But really, for the most part, they are only looking at the Enneagram as far as it is about their number. So Katie who thought she was a type two, never read the posts about sevens to see that that was actually something that would hit much, much closer to home than what a type two's motivation and deadly sin and growth and stress patterns were. The sevens hit much closer to home, but she never even gave it a second thought because the type two made sense and she actually has never read anything about type sevens other than maybe a meme here or there that they're like huge thrill seekers and that kind of thing. And she didn't relate to that. And I have heard this story of someone like Katie over and over and over again. And people get very frustrated when they're in that situation sometimes because it's almost like, why is everyone else gaining so much from the Enneagram? Why is the Enneagram being so mind-blowing to some people and it isn't to me? What's going on? And part of the reason why a narrow view of Enneagram or a view of the Enneagram that introduces it as a singular focused tool is that the Enneagram is meant to be used as a whole. No matter what number you are, you pretty much have something in common with every other number on the Enneagram. So you are in a triad with two different numbers. So you're going to be in the head, heart, gut triad with two different numbers. You have arrows that go to two different numbers. You have the possibility of having a wing of two different numbers. Everything is connected because we are all so connected. We are all God's creation and we all reflect parts of his personality and who he is and his character. We all reflect parts of him. None of us can reflect the fullness of God's character. So God separated out his character into parts, and we all represent different parts of God's character. If we only focus on one singular part, we are missing out on actually a whole picture of how much God actually values these other things. If how you reflect God is in your loyalty 
and in your steadfastness, you might really dismiss the people that reflect God's peace or God's joy as not being as important. But the more you learn about everything as a whole, the more important everything starts to seem and fall into place. I do compare this a lot to if you want to think of it in a way of the world. So I live in America, I live in Washington State, and if I grew up only learning about America and only learning about American history, yes, I would have a lot of information that is applicable to me and my culture and my daily life, but I actually would not be understanding it to its fullest if I did not also know anything about world history. I would not really know why America's economy is the way that it is or how America actually came to be or why we participated in wars. I also would not have a healthy curiosity about my brothers and sisters in Christ who do not live in America, and I would not have a healthy compassion and grace and curiosity for other cultures, which is important to being a compassionate and curious person in general. And so in that way, that's kind of what it's like when you take a test and get an Enneagram number and then only look at the posts and research and book chapters about that one Enneagram number. Yes, you might be learning a lot about something that is applicable to you, but do you really understand it? I would argue that No, you probably don't completely understand it because you don't actually completely understand the Enneagram as a whole. When you use the Enneagram in a me-centered way, it makes it unhelpful. And most importantly, in a lot of ways, it can make it ungodly. One of the biggest gifts of the Enneagram is being able to have grace and compassion and see your brothers and sisters from a different view, realizing that not everyone sees the world the way you do and having grace and compassion and empathy for all these different views is so important and is one of the ways that I see God using the Enneagram. And so if you are only using the Enneagram in a very me-focused way, if you only read the posts about your type, if you only do research or read the, the chapter or listen to the podcast episodes about your type, you are missing so much of what God might have in store for you in both your personal and your relational growth. And if you are just going to use the Enneagram to look up your one type because it seems so accurate, even if it is your core type, even if you have not missed type, I would rather you not use the Enneagram. That's the point I have come to in my research of the Enneagram and how much learning about all nine types has been so helpful to my life. So for number three... We're going to talk about tests can cause confusion. So because there are so many Enneagram purists out there who have created tests, they try to make the tests really complicated in order to make them more accurate. And one of the ways they do this is by going several layers deeper and making the Enneagram more complicated than what it needs to be when you are first introduced to the Enneagram. It's almost like they're forgetting the people that take these tests don't actually know what the Enneagram is. They often, this is their introduction to the Enneagram. And so when you have a test result that says you are a one or a six wing seven social, 
so many people are going to be so confused and they have no idea what that means. I've gotten messages over and over again that people are like, okay, well, what am I? The test says I'm a seven or I'm a two wing three. What does that mean? I'm like, well, it means exactly what it says. It (laughs) says it means that you are, you might be a seven or you might be a two wing three. And these tests are trying to be helpful because they're trying to just give you a starting point into your own research and everything like that. But the problem is that most people that are going into tests, they don't want a starting point. They want a finish line. They want to be like, I put in the work. I did this test. You need to fulfill your end of the bargain of telling me exactly what my type is. But in a lot of ways, they're coming away from tests more confused than they were about the Enneagram when they started because they're trying to give too complicated of answers. Another one that I see is they'll say, you are a 163. And I know that from that, that they are talking about tri-types. But if you don't know about the Enneagram much, or this is your introduction, you have no idea what a tri-type is. So you might think that you are equally a one, six, and a three, and that you are not one core number, but you are a multitude of numbers. (laughs) I also have other people come to me that say, oh, I took three different tests and I got three different results that were all different numbers. That must mean I'm divergent, that I'm actually not an Enneagram number. And so all of these tests that are actually trying to be more accurate in a lot of ways are causing a lot more confusion because they're going too deep too fast in the name of using the Enneagram to its full potential, which I understand now knowing so much more about the Enneagram. Subtypes are so important. Wings are so important. Growth and stress arrows are so important. Triads are so important. All these things are so important to understanding and knowing the Enneagram, But when you really pull back and you look at the people that are just learning about the Enneagram, they just need to know some core things. They need to know that you are one core number. That is it. You are one core number your entire life. And that Enneagram types are based off your motivations, not your behaviors. And then I would maybe go into like wings and triads. And like those are helpful building blocks onto the knowledge that, that, that they already have. They also need to know that they need to know about the entire Enneagram and all of the numbers, not just their own, to use the Enneagram to its fullest potential. So number four is tests cheapen the Enneagram. The Enneagram is not Myers-Briggs. The Enneagram is not what color am I. The Enneagram is not strength finders. The Enneagram is not a quiz. The Enneagram is not a test. It was never meant to be because it's about deep work. And the problem with tests is that we want that immediate answer. We want the test to be the finish line when really, if you are going to use a test at all, it needs to be the starting line with much, much more research and deeper work being between you and maybe that finish line that may actually never come. It's a journey. That's what we mean when we say that it's a journey is that there might not be a finish line. Myers-Briggs is about behaviors. Strengths Finders is about behaviors. The am I a golden shepherd, beaver, or whatever it is, those are about outward behaviors. The Enneagram is not about outward behaviors. It's about motivations. And so the questions that really tests should be asking, which a lot of times we cannot answer about ourselves, are the questions that the Enneagram actually answers for you, which is, What motivates me? 
In what ways am I tempted to sin? How do I want others to perceive me? What do I falsely believe gives me value? What do I fear the most? And how do I reflect God? Before you knew about the Enneagram at all, what would have been your answer to those questions? It might have been harder for you to find the answer to those questions. Because like I said before, we are so behaviorally based. And these questions almost sound like things that are unanswerable. How do I know what motivates me? Do people just have one motivation? I mean, sometimes I'm motivated by love. Sometimes I'm motivated by self-value. Sometimes I'm righteously motivated by giving God glory. Like, how do you answer that question? And it's not until you learn more about the Enneagram and really peel back the layers of self that you can really see a fuller picture of like, oh my goodness, that motivation really has, has been behind so much of my life. It's been a pattern. And that's one of the things that people, especially when you're taking tests, don't understand about the Enneagram either is it's all about dominance. So yes, sometimes I'm motivated by love. Sometimes I'm motivated by self-worth. Sometimes I'm motivated by perfection or being good. Sometimes I'm motivated by needing peace, but I am dominantly motivated over the entire course of my life by authenticity because I am a type four. And that's one of the things that Enneagram has shown me and has given me that self-awareness in, is that that is my primary motivation. That is my dominant motivation. That is the overarching theme of so much of my life. In a culture where we barely know what our strengths are, we struggle to answer these deep questions of what motivates us. What do you fear? We don't spend a lot of time on this layer of self, especially if you've never gone to therapy. Like certain amounts of like therapy and counseling will try to get to these deeper levels. But in culture, we tend to be so much more surfacey that we are very comfortable with the boxes we put ourselves in that are behavioral and not motivation. So when we go to tests and when we treat the Enneagram like a quiz or like just a test, we are really missing out on so much of what it has to offer us in self-awareness as well as growth in Christ. Testing so that you know what memes to look at or what to put in your Instagram bio cheapens and nullifies the work that God might want to do in your heart. You might be satisfied with the behavioral boxes you have put yourself into, but I can guarantee you that God is not. When we make ourselves students of the human soul, it leads us to the soul's creator, which is God. God created the human soul. But when we make ourselves students of human culture, it leads us to just our humanity and ourself because we are the authors of human culture. And so often sin is the author of human culture. You might not be ready to go on a journey that is deeper than the boxes of behaviors that you've put yourself into. And I just want to say that that is completely okay. The person you are trying to share the Enneagram with might also not be ready to go any deeper than behaviors. And that's also okay. But if that is the case, please don't pretend that you know what your type is based off a test. Eight out of 10 times, 
you don't actually know what your Enneagram type is if you are relying on a test, and you might be misrepresenting yourself. Especially if you have a pretty narrow view of the Enneagram, there might be certain Enneagram types that you are more attracted to than other Enneagram types. Being an eight, you might, or like you might think like, oh, that's strength and assertiveness. That's something I've always wanted to be. They're such a cool type. Or threes are so success oriented and so driven. They're such a cool type. But if you go around telling people what your type is and you have a narrow view of the Enneagram, you are actually telling people way more about yourself than you think you are. And as someone who's an Enneagram teacher and an Enneagram coach, I can tell you that there is no good Enneagram type to be. (laughs) They all have struggles and fatal flaws and really bad parts of themselves because the Enneagram does expose so much of our blind spots and sin nature. So if you come to me telling me that you're a two and you're thinking like, oh, she's going to think I'm so helpful and giving and others focused, what I might be thinking is like, oh, so this person has manipulative streak and they're extremely prideful and they're not very aware of their own emotions and you might not think that that's what you're telling me but in essence that is what you are telling me so you need to be really careful that if you are not ready to go on this journey please don't be flinging around enneagram types like you know what you're talking about where you feel like you know what you're saying to people because you might be exposing a lot more than you think you are. So as we end today, I want to give you some hope. I want to give you some rules about testing and finding your Enneagram type because I know it can be a very unsatisfying answer to get, don't use tests. Tests are bad. Go on a journey. You need to you need to be in the self-awareness journey. You need to seclude yourself like a monk and read books about the Enneagram, and that's how you're going to find your type. Well, that's not going to be extremely practical. So I just want to give you some advice. One is to not test, but assess. And the difference between a test and an assessment is that a test is the finish line we were talking about. An assessment is the starting line. So when you are assessing yourself for what Enneagram type you might be, you are not taking a test to say, oh, the test says I am an eight. I am an eight, and therefore I'm going to go read all the posts about type eights, or I'm going to read and see if that works for me. A lot of tests out there will give you two to three top numbers that you scored as, and that's really where you want to look and where you want to start. I know that the Enneagram can be really confusing and really overwhelming. There are nine numbers, and it can take a while to feel familiar with what those nine numbers are. So if you are just starting and you want to find your own type, taking a test or an assessment to figure out what your top three most likely Enneagram numbers are is not going to necessarily derail your entire journey. So that is, if you want to take a test, that's what I recommend is treat it as an assessment and take it with a grain of salt. Don't take it as blatant truth. So if you score as a type three, don't take it as blatant truth that you are a type three. Look at the test, say, okay, it says type three and type seven was my second and type six was my third. I'm going to take some time and really look into those three types And one of the ways you can do that is on the EnneagramInstitute.com. They have very thorough written bios about each type. And just reading those might give you a good picture if one of these types might be you or not. 
But keep going. Keep going from there. Don't just stop there when you feel a little satisfied that something kind of hits home. I've heard other Enneagram teachers talk about finding your Enneagram type as being in a dressing room and trying on clothes until you find what outfit makes you feel the most naked. Like what makes you feel the most exposed and vulnerable? What Enneagram type talks about you in ways that you didn't know other people knew that about you or you have never heard yourself described so accurately before in ways that you didn't even know how to describe yourself so use a test as an assessment use it as a starting point and that means for everyone so if you are gung-ho on the Enneagram you're super excited about it you want to share it with everyone in your life just make sure that you are telling them I'm going to send you a link to a test I would recommend that you look up your top three scores and the assessments that I recommend the most are going to be well we have one, which I know feels a little weird, but it is a printout assessment and it does take you pretty differently through the types and introduces you to stances a little bit. So um, you can find that at Enneagram.life on Instagram. It's going to be the link in our bio. It's free. You can download it and print it. And that's a great way to introduce the people in your life to the Enneagram as well. So if you print out one for them, you do it all around the dinner table or something, then you're going to be introducing them to way more than just one type as well as Beth McCord at Your Enneagram Coach. She has a free assessment as well, and it is an online test. It's a little bit on the longer side, but it is a pretty good assessment, is a pretty good starting point. And she's going to talk about that Enneagram type from a gospel lens at the end, which I also find is very helpful. So I'm going to give you kind of, in terms of the podcast, a spicy take, which is you do not need to pay for a test. There are so many tests out there that you have to pay for, and it's in the name of accuracy. These are super long tests. These were created by the giants of the Enneagram. And yes, sure, they might be. They might be getting at more motivational questions, that kind of thing, but they cannot take out the human equation, which is you and how well you know yourself. So you do not need to pay for a test. I just want to let you off the hook right now. If you've been testing for a long time, trying to figure out your type, you cannot figure it out. Nothing is clicking. Your money is going to be way better served for you in a coaching session with an Enneagram coach. And not just me. I'm not trying to just plug my Enneagram coaching here. I really do believe that if you are the equation that is making all of these tests difficult to read, then you need to add someone else into the equation, not just more questions. And an Enneagram coach can do that for you. So if you are just starting this Enneagram journey, first of all, congratulations, welcome. To me, people just learning about the Enneagram and figuring this out is like people just watching The Office for the first time. You know what's in store for them and how cool it's going to be. <laughs> and it's just such an exciting thing. So welcome. So a couple of the things you can do. So like I said, assess, don't test. So the, if you are going to take a test, treat it as an assessment, look up those top three types. But really, if you are brand, brand new to the Enneagram, I want you to invest in your self-awareness enough to buy a book 
or even get a book from the library. You don't even have to invest any money. So the first book that I would recommend is The Road Back to You by Ian Morgan Crudd and Suzanne Stabile. That is the book I recommend to everyone that is starting out on the Enneagram. It is really easy to understand. It's a pretty quick read and it will give you a good taste of what all nine numbers are and how they interact with each other. So that is a great one to start with. If you have read The Road Back to You, or you want to go super deep, then you can get something like The Complete Enneagram by Beatrice Chestnut. You can get The Art of Typing by Ginger Lapted Bogda. Or you can get Self to Lose, Self to Find by Marilyn Vansel. And I will link and make sure I put all of the names of those in the show notes so that you have them. But those are all really great resources that if you are just starting to learn about the Enneagram, this is going to be a great introduction for you into more about what the full Enneagram is and what the numbers you might have discovered you are most likely to be on the assessment, which ones might actually be your core number. They will explain it in a much deeper way than probably your test results will and maybe help you kind of have that mind-blowing this is definitely my type moment. So I hope that I have thoroughly ruined you on tests for the rest of your life. I hope now you can probably articulate a few reasons why blindly taking Enneagram tests or trusting tests is not the most helpful thing on your Enneagram journey and how to take a test if you must. Treat it as an assessment. I'm actually going to go further into this topic on my Patreon. So that's www.patreon.com slash four reasons for spelled out f-o-u-r and this month i have weekly mini episodes that i will be going over why not memes why don't we type other people what's the big deal with stereotyping and why do you hate parodies those are what i will be going over on our patreon you can get access to all of my weekly mini episodes that go deeper into the topic at hand starting at just five dollars a month so the price of one coffee you can get all of those extra information about how the enneagram works and a little bit deeper in my perspective in my teaching about it If you are here just for the once a month free podcast, I'm still so grateful for you and so thankful that you are listening in. You are making my podcast dreams come true. So thank you. And next month, we are going to be talking about the age of typing, also known as why don't we type children or how do we type children? Kind of going on it as the same that we did this month where it's like, do not take tests but this is how you take tests (laughs) kind of thing. So we will be going over that next month and I cannot wait to dive into why don't we type kids? As we end today, I will remind you of four things. You were worth the cross to Jesus. You don't need to have it all figured out. You were created for a purpose and I for one am very grateful for you and your support. If you like today's podcast and want to follow me on Instagram, well, you have three options. You can follow me at Enneagram.life, which is my main Enneagram Everything page. You can follow me at author.elizabethbennett, where you can keep up with my everyday life as well as upcoming books. Or if you're an Enneagram 4 like me, you can follow along in my all fours community at fourish underscore and I know it. All the resources I mentioned today can be found in the show notes, and you can find out more about my coaching services at 
elizabethbennettenneagram.com.